evening, everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog, from Fuga A to Fuga Z. Recently, Bashla Andelson became the fourth member of Beauty Pill to be a guest on this podcast, setting a record that seemed sure never to be broken. However, all of a sudden, another band is nipping at their heels because joining me today to discuss merchandise from the 1990 album Repeater are not one, not two, not four, but three members of Fugulele, certainly one of the world's most prominent all-ukulele Fugazi cover bands. Welcome to the show, Ken Keach, Mike Martin, and Frank West. How are you doing, guys? Hey, thanks. How are you? Good. Great. Howdy, howdy. howdy. It's really cool to have you guys here. I love having some like sort of niche Fugazi-related creative projects uh, joining me on the show. And hey, where else are you guys going to get a chance to air your thoughts? Um, so I need to provide a platform <laughs> for people as clearly Fugazi-obsessed as I am. So it's very cool to have you guys. I'll have you know you are very hard to schedule in our, in our appearances because uh, there are so many people... <laughs> That are ukulele enthusiasts that are reaching out to find out. I don't know how we could put that fit that in our schedule. Yeah, yeah, we really took us a while to get together, but I'm glad we were all available to discuss this. The eight years is worth the wait. It was definitely. <laughs> Uh, thank you for clearing a window. I, I appreciate it for sure. And I'm excited yeah. to kind of talk shop. Um, for me, like the ukulele is an important instrument because every night I perform, uh, I give a command performance for my toddler daughter. Um, she, I, I need to play her three songs before she goes to sleep every night. So my ukulele is getting a ton of use. Um, and Good, man. Kudos. I, I don't play any Fugazi songs, but maybe I should introduce a couple. We'd be, we'd be glad to show you. Definitely. Yeah, so as I said, you guys are, I guess, not quite all ukulele. You do have a drummer, but for anybody mm-hmm. who hasn't heard these guys, yeah, they, they just do all the Fugazi instrumentation with ukuleles. I, my one question on that is it sounds like there's a nice bass sound on your tracks. Is that a bass ukulele? It is a bass ukulele, yeah. Um, yeah. We were talking the other day about uh, how we, we played for a while without a bass ukulele. And uh, we had Very finally, Steve, Steve got one. It was, and yeah, we were playing with a pitch modulator. Oh, I right? see, right. Yeah, and it uh, was a Digitech whammy pedal. It sounded sounded very like manufactured, but still had like a bass kind of tone to it. But it just wasn't it wasn't hitting it right, you know. Yeah, and then Steve got this ukulele bass, and he he brought it to the first rehearsal, and it just changed us, and we we're so happy yeah. with it. But it, yeah, there's a lot of bass end, but it's a small ukulele, a small bass, but it's uh, got these polyurethane Giant strings, strings. that let it vibrate real <laughs> they, they well. They look like like tentacles on a bait. like it's just <laughs> ridiculous. Like, yeah, how I've, you even play that thing. I've seen one of these. Last time I was in a music shop. I saw one of these hanging up and I was like, ask the guy, is that a bass ukulele? And he's like, yeah. And my attitude was kind of like, what, what a useless thing. There's no way that's going to sound <laughs> decent at all. But I stand corrected because you guys get a great sound out, out of that thing. So I, I never imagined that it would sound good. Well, that's all Steve Peters playing the bass. They're very dedicated to it. <laughs> yeah. very. Our, our, uh, our rhythm section, uh, Jeff, Jeff on the drums too. They were really tight and very. They were they were the most um, uh, precise amongst the musicians yeah, in so, the band. But, yeah, really, like meticulous, really just perfect workhorses. You know. So I wanted to ask you guys. It's interesting from a philosophical standpoint when somebody engages in a project like this. 
how much of it is humor and how much of it is serious because obviously it seems like you guys are really dedicated to this you do a great job with the songs but simply simply ex- describing the nature of this band to somebody is funny and people like it, will laugh every time oh yeah um yeah and also there is like there are some funny moments in it like uh, in your cover of arpeggiator like there's that long sustained note that they do on the record and when you guys do it on the ukuleles it just dies out immediately like there's no sustain so yeah. like there're just moments like that that are sort of <laughs> you can't get it they're sort of you like intrinsically funny but yeah i was wondering how you guys uh, thought of it as far as how much of it is just sort of humor and how much of it is like That's- we are hardcore fugazi fans that's where i think it's just like we're we're drinking the water well, man. i think we're we're drinking the Kool-Aid it's we're we're in it we're committed to the bit though so it's it's 100 it like is, it is a tribute to the band everything that we do is a tribute to right. the band and if Nothing, it is a yeah. little bit funny um right. we do that we yeah. find that within the music but it's it's ironically funny but it doesn't mean that we're not big fans of fugazi i mean we do break down the each song by individual note to uh each sound on the ukulele so it's this meticulous dissection we we do of the song, so we do yeah. love it, you know. We we we, and then that's nerdy and and we find interesting. Yeah, exactly. But there's there's a comical performance part of it to to Fugulele too, yeah. especially in our live shows. Exactly. I was gonna say like, <laughs> if you if you go to the shows, you would you would probably have to say it's like half and half almost, just because, you know, I think the band has at one point just studied like the videos of. Fugazi and like how Ian acts on stage and Ken's pretty much got that down to like a science. I mean, at one point, Mike, you know, did the thing where he put his head like in a basketball hoop, (laughs) (laughs) you know, imitating the band. I mean, it's just, uh, we work, we're serious about being funny. We're serious about being funny. We kicked the person out. Yeah. Yeah. We kick a person out. We used to kick a person out of every show. That was (laughs) a plan. It's getting too rough. Yeah, I think it really comes across that you guys take it seriously and you you break things down real effectively. Uh, and it's it's um once you get over the, the sort of like humorous idea of it, it's really interesting listening. Sometimes you your recordings sound like um like an orchestra when they're playing uh, pizzicato, you know, they're like a whole section of violins. It just has that effect. I uh, maybe because I've just never heard that many ukuleles playing at the same time before. I'm like that not that familiar with. <laughs> all ukulele bands but it's it's very cool listening so uh yeah congrats on making some cool stuff thank you appreciate that thank you appreciate that Uh, by the way i wanted to ask you you know speaking of your live performances um what is like what's your status i when i first found you it seemed like there were videos i was seeing from like circa 2013 uh are you like (laughs) COVID aside are you you guys are like an active band you're ready to get back performing uh what's your kind of status right now well you know there's a lot a, a lot more than COVID has happened to all of our lives since uh, right. the heyday of the band. So um, <laughs> Mike has a, has a four-year-old now. I've got a, a 15-year-old and two 11-year-olds. So lives have drastically changed. Tyler has uh, two grown, gr- growing girls. So, you know, it just became a little less uh, time for us to devote to Frank's this being passion Frank. project. So I think it really did culminate with our album. Which, I, which we always looked at like trying just to capture a moment of time when we were like perfect at these 14 songs. So we did yeah. the, the, um, It's, it's I, a difficult to like say that to your wife and say like, you know, well, 
I'm not going to have enough time for this family right now because I need to make sure that I stay perfect at this like Ukulele. ridiculous so we, idea. We did the dumbest thing. We did the dumbest thing though, and the day before we went to the studio to record our entire album, oh, we yeah. did a show and we played the entire album. Oh God! At a show, just sweating. I chipped my tooth to out a little. Chop to bottom. <laughs> And so, how did you do that? Like, how did you chip your tooth? I don't think we ever understood on the that. microphone when I was lying on the he's, ground. Because he's Ian. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's just luckily Jeremy was there, and he's a dentist. I was like, "Hey, man, take a look." He was like, "Ah, oh, no, nah, that'll be fine. Be fine. Don't worry about it." <laughs> See, you guys. So we're not we're not the wisest so music. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, the thing with the album too is like. It, if you look at it on Spotify, I think it says like it was released in 2019, which it was, but we actually recorded it in 2015, so it's correct. You know, it's four years old at the time. Well, now it's six years old, but I mean that was the height for sure. Fugalele was like 2015 year. I think we did a lot of shows that year. And I understand the band uh, actually has listened to your album. I think so, right, Ken? Yeah, I, yeah. So we've heard, you know. So I had a friend, uh, friend of a friend, kind of connection to. Uh, Brendan, and then so he, he he emailed confirmation back to us or back to my friend, and uh, said that he had listened to it and enjoyed it. So that made my day, and we, I passed that screenshot around. Everybody was cheering for <laughs> ourselves for a little bit. That nice. was really cool. Yeah. Well, that's the big fear, right? That's the whole time we were afraid to even contact anybody about we're doing this because we didn't want anybody to take it the wrong way, like we we're making fun of Fugazi. No, yeah, no, we're like a loving band for sure. It's a yeah, tribute. Yeah, we're not mean spirited at all. Um, mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Fugazi was a big part of like, yeah, it's, and still is a big part of like my my work ethos and my life. So you know, way I want to live my life. <laughs> uh, so I wouldn't want to make fun of that too much. Well, speaking <laughs> of that, so that was that was a uh, Ken talking just now, right? Um, yeah. yeah. Would, would you like to continue? Like, uh, I do usually like to ask my guests about their sort of history as a Fugazi fan. Do you just do you want to sum up you, your life as a Fugazi fan, how you got into them, and notable moments seeing them live or whatever, and then we can go down the list to Mike and then Frank. Okay, sure. Well, <laughs> I guess it's important. To, I think with a band like Fugazi and any band that like you really connect with, you know as a person, as a human, you're like, you know, I think we all as teenagers, we're more like coming into our own and finding our own identities really find some sort of music. Usually we do, right. That we're going to identify with forever. And then hopefully those things we latch on to like mature, you know, along with us. And, um, that's, I feel like, so I graduated high school in 95. So, that, so I was probably first listening to Fugazi in probably 94, like my junior year of high school or something. Uh, but I distinctly remember it's because this guy in my uh, drama class, he gave me a CD. He was really into like um, rollerblading and skateboarding and stuff in Annapolis. And uh, <laughs> he gave me Red Medicine. Uh, I think it was Red Medicine. I think the one with the grate on it um, with the tiny letters. <laughs> I think that was it uh, in high school. And I listened to it, really liked it. And then... Um, but even, so I'm from, uh, Severna Park, which is like a Baltimore, Annapolis suburb. And, uh, but so I was still like not of the age in high school to go down to DC and check out these shows. But when I went in 
then got into college, I worked at the radio station at Virginia Tech, and I was able to like listen to whatever I wanted to because I had like the four to seven a.m. slot. So I listened to a lot of them then, and I really got into that sound. And then you know, then it was of age to go to hardcore shows and things like that, um, and just kind of followed them. And the, but the thing about Fugazi is they, I, I feel like they were I was so lucky that they also matured and grew like as I did too. It like didn't stay mired in one moment. So it always felt like current and relevant in my life to the point where now even like, you know, of course I know so many of the songs now by heart, <laughs> but I find the, the lyrics and the, and the feelings like resonating in my life and in choices I make, you know, so Fugazi is a real important part of my life. How about you, Mike? I'm I'm going by the way uh, in alphabetical so, order by last name, just like uh, Fugazi ah, always like to Nicely do. Nicely done. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't feel I don't feel slighted. <laughs> if you want to be ironic, welcome to ironic. I found Fugazi through seeing Fugalele's first performance. Oh, way back, way back when that I didn't. So when I grew up, I was a, a cool. Little little metal kid. I listened to Deftones <laughs> and Tool and Fear Factory and things like that. And I think I'm one of the younger of the band, so I didn't get a chance to really experience and explore the the hardcore scene at the time, and or punk. And with that being the case, it was funny when I saw Fugalele play the first time because I wasn't part of the band. It was when they're in their organic stages, the song that got me, it was, they played Long Division. And I sat there and I listened to it while they were playing it, and they were putting the pieces together. And it just felt right. Like something something just felt orchestrally correct. Something was cool about it. And so that's where I researched Fugazi, and that's where the like one of the first videos I saw was a, a video of them playing outside of the White House, I think it was, before the Gulf War. And it's just this full video of them playing outside of the White House. And it's I think we have about three or four songs on our album that we did that they did. And and it's just this this just commitment to the music and the, the commitment to the it was so well done. And it just kinda of just I got pulled into the quicksand there it was it was very peculiar but it was i was i was on board right from there it was seeing gee i think gee is what pulled me in because he's just he can pull himself outside of the box he's playing the music but he's not he's i don't know he does something different when he's playing that gets me into it so it's that was my that was my get I know it's weird, but that was my. <laughs> well, what about you, Frank? What's your Fugazi experience? So I have like kind of a mishmash of like maybe Mike and Ken. I mean, I I grew up on a lot of like punk rock and hardcore. Like Earth Crisis was like this uh, local uh, vegan straight edge band that kind of was like this, you know, political multi or uh, social uh, sociological you know battering ram of a band, if you will. And I was really like passionate about the vegan straight edge thing and. I think Fugazi kind of had like a little bit of, you know, association with that, just given like minor threat and the whole straight edge thing at the time. But I didn't really, you know, I, I knew who they were and I liked a couple songs, but um, I wasn't like a huge fan. But then uh, I went like on a road trip with some friends and year after college and I heard like the whole um, The Argument album, 
And I thought it was really cool and like artistic and I like was getting into guitar playing at the time. So it really like had a, you know, kind of like a neat impact on me. I was like, okay, like there's different ways of looking at the instrument. And then, um, you know, years later I was at one of Fugalele's uh, early shows, like with Mike, I'm pretty sure. And I wasn't in the band yep. yet, but they had just been kind of like starting out and they were this really funny, like, you know, but also like the songs are just so well crafted for like the limited amount of, you know, real instruments that they had. I mean, the drum kit was made with like a sack of coins or something in like a little <laughs> box in the ground. <laughs> and it That's was right. the the drum beat for every song. You could do like long division, you could do like reclamation, you could do small box. It was just <laughs> like I'm pretty sure the drummer at the time just kind of had this simple concept and it was pretty amazing though. Like I heard Bad Mouth and I was like, this band is amazing. Like this is so cool. <laughs> I didn't know Fugazi could sound this good. <laughs> so that was Ron and, Sweet, Ron Sweeter. Yeah, Ron drummer, Sweet right? is such a great guy. And then uh, he became like our hype man too. Like on the, yeah, <laughs> you know, just jumping the mic here and there. But um, Ken, after one of the shows, he was like, "Hey man, we're." you know, filling out the band, you should join. And I was like, I don't know how to play ukulele. Are you kidding me? And I, I bought a uke and I, all of a sudden I'm at the band practice. <laughs> it was one of the best things that I have in my life. So oh, there you awesome. have it. Gee, that's thanks, awesome. Brian. Thanks dude. Yeah. But oh, by the way, how many total members are there slash were there at sort of like the, uh, when you recorded your Ooh. album? I think there were seven of us. The album was the peak. That was the peak number of performers we had. That was uh, uh, Greg Maslin, Jeff on drums, yep. Steve on bass, Tyler, me, Ken, and Frank and Mike. So that I was yeah, that was that was what we brought. Well, <laughs> I wasn't counting it seven or eight. It was counting. Nobody was counting. Well, in any case, I have a good chunk of the band Fugalele with me here today to talk about the song Merchandise, which is a, yeah. a song that Fugalele played and recorded. So uh, check that out, listeners. Um, and it's also quite a big song in the history of Fugazi. It is, in fact, a top five most played song. Number five, in fact, uh, the most played uh, number five most played song in Fugazi's live career. 474 outings according to what i'm seeing and uh it's uh it's a mainstay they played it at their first show ever in uh, september 3rd 1987 at wilson center and the last time they ever played it was october 30th 2002 five days before their final show so merchandise has always been there basically as long as fugazi was a band and as as far as the uh the sort of facts behind it um one just notable quote that I found. Uh, this is from an interview by former guest, friend of the show, Tom Gibbs, with Ian Mackay, and sort of asking about the creative process. And Ian Mackay was just sort of talking about how uh, most of their songs ended up being collaborative efforts. But uh, he did say, quote, At the beginning of the band, I was writing everything. They're my songs. But to be a band, everyone has to feel a sense of ownership. They have to feel connected. So it was hard for me then. Imagine a song like Merchandise. I just wrote that, and it seemed perfect. But then imagine bringing in a song like that, and then them saying, well, let's take this apart, rearrange it. I was like, no, 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 it's perfect the way it is. It was very hard for me to let go. I had to learn this lesson, Uh... end quote. 
So yeah, the takeaway is that merchandise, this is a pure Ian Mackay jam. He basically wrote it beginning to end. Uh, although, of course, there are some uh, little little spices and additions by the other members of the band. Um, so that's uh, that's the main background. And then from there, I mean, let's jump into talking about whatever we want to talk about uh, when it comes to merchandise. Anybody want to take first crack at something they want to say about it? I think, Mike, you should talk about it because, Mike, you're in our band. You're the one who broke down this one into each individual part, right? Mike Martin right. orchestrated this one. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. He killed it. Um, the the one thing that that clicks in my mind is the pop 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 the repeating note consistently, and so you see it in the beginning of the song, and it just feels like he's trying to create a mentality of just this is the norm, this is everything, this is the norm, this is everything, and then it continues after the the first chorus, it continues again. This is the norm. This is everything. This is the norm. This is everything. But it starts to crack a little bit. And then right before the bridge, it builds more and more to where it starts to crack. And it that's where it breaks down to the you are not what you own. And I think he does it. And it's done in such a fun way that it's it's just he drives the point home. Mm-hmm. So straightforward that it's. Not. <laughs> I don't know. I, I can't say it in a. It's a very driving song. Yes, it's it's because it's it's a very straightforward song. It's a very. Thank you, Ken. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to learn about that. Uh, I didn't know that that was you know, you know, um, such a. I didn't know the the history of that. Thanks, Ian. Um, but it makes a lot of sense. You know, it is. It could be played on one guitar if you wanted to. Um, right. Also, I feel like merchandise has a little bit. It's got. It's like. Uh, it's got a little bit of a groove that does is more like. From what I understand, like at the beginning of Fugazi, they kind of want to have like a punk reggae sound, right? They yeah, want to kind of. So you yeah. get those. You get those upbeats. Ticket, ticket, mm-hmm. right? And then uh, it is like punk reggae, and it's very the the song structure of it is very dri- driving, and it kind of has that expectation, and then it. Um, does that expectations twice and then on the third time it it it, it doesn't meet those original sonic expectations um but um i think that uh the song in itself is uh definitely an expression of like what fugazi ended up being for a long time right you are not what you own the whole the whole song you know kind of in right. a nutshell is like a a huge part of fugazi's philosophy Right, and I mean I can a lot see of why the... they play it at their shows. I see, can see why they play it the fifth most number of times. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah a lot yeah, of what videos. A great song. I mean, we, I think we played video... it at every one of our shows, right? I think that was one of the oh, first ones we learned. I'm yes. pretty sure. That's yeah. one of those songs that, like, if we we played at a show, I feel like <laughs> I don't know if this is like Ian's intention when he wrote it, but it's like always the one that like made me pretend like I knew how to dance while I was playing guitar or ukulele. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Definitely got me grooving a little bit, but I feel like it's just one of those songs, like, the minute you hear, even if you're not, like, a Fugazi fan, if it just comes on or something, like, you know you're like, okay, this is going to be a, an awesome piece of music. Like, just right off mm-hmm. the bat, it just has such a, like, a grabbing intro, and even when he says, you are not what you own, it sounds like he's, like, really trying to break through to the listener. You know, like, there's, like, a sense of urgency to, like, wake you up, and he's kind of, like, shaking you with his lyrics. It's pretty cool. 
Yeah, definitely. A really cool thing about covering it is when we did it live and I would s- scream out into the audience, like just I felt like um, a real rock star with, cause that, because it is such a popular song. Like a lot of people know <laughs> the words to it. So like, yeah. be, like Mal- yeah. singing along with me. That was a really great feeling as a performer. Um, and I think it's it's like the, the kind of shameful good feeling that you can only get if you're like doing a really good cover of some band. <laughs> so I didn't make any of this up, but I'll go ahead and feel the same feels that you get for a second from it. I'm guilty of that feeling. It's okay. Yeah, it's one of the great things about being in cover bands, for sure. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we're not that talented. <laughs> But we'll take credit for some talent. <laughs> yeah, just a little, a little borrowed glory feels good. You, yeah. It makes you feel good. Yeah, the audience yeah. feels good. Everyone has a good time. Borrowed no glory. There. I'm gonna steal that phrase. <laughs> I tell you, it did, it that, it did drive a lot of us, especially Steve, and I think also Jeff. Like we, we just really, um, we really didn't want to come off as, you know, um, disgenuine with what we were doing. <laughs> right. Um, I will say, uh, for anybody else listening who didn't realize this was a bit of an older song, um, older than the album Repeater at least, uh, I do urge you to check out the version that was released on the first demo, uh, this, uh, which I guess Fugazi released in, what was it, 2014? Um, but yeah, this this recording of all their, their initial demos, uh, and merchandise is on that, and it's actually possibly my favorite uh, demo on that release. It's it's very surprising in how fully realized it is. Uh, it's a great performance, great recording. It's sort of surprising, that given that they had that in their back pocket, that they didn't want to release that on the first couple of EPs. Um, so, no, yeah, kidding. interesting listening. Uh, go ahead and check that out. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes for anybody who yeah, please has do. not heard it to go uh, have a listen. Speaking of merchandise, did, did you guys have merchandise? We did have those T-shirts that Carrie made, right, Mike? Yeah. Carrie made those yep. T-shirts. Yep. Mike, tell tell them about the T-shirt. Well, <laughs> yeah. What does it say on that shirt? Let's just reiterate. It said, uh, "This is not an all ukulele Fugazi cover band T-shirt." <laughs> That's a correct statement. If you if and you watched went, it like once, it was no longer it a was Garbaggio, guys. <laughs> and we made the shirts. We sold them for five dollars, and we literally put them towards. Just the amplifiers we used. It was yeah. It was it was literally meant for ukuleles, and nothing more. That's yeah. The throw end. It, like, cause just because like I was watching videos today, and every time I would watch a video that involved the song merchandise, he would start the song, and before Ian would talk, he would say, "Somebody outside is selling shirts for twenty five dollars. If you buy the shirt, that's not authorized by us." I'm like, God. Right. <laughs> right. So we 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 did we Busted. did keep that in our mentality. Like we never played for any amount of money or anything like no, that. We always donated one hundred percent of our our proceeds to yeah. uh, some cause or the other. I mean, we we did like parent pe- parent teacher association shows for yep. the yep. local elementary school. We yep. did fundraisers for the, the baseball league, the baseball team. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. cool. Nice. Yep. No, literally, yeah, it was really fun. I think that that was a big part of it. You know, like that was one of the reasons why I was so into Fugazi. I'm sure many of us, but as the as of Asia, as I started being able to go see them do shows, you know, the like five dollars or free all ages mentality that really appealed to me. 
And I, I, you know, I think that we made sure that we tried to do shows that that did that as well. We were not out to make money with this thing. Gosh, no, no. Believe it or not, or to become famous, or (laughs) to have people know about it. Um, It was just something that we're into. But we did use it our powers for good. I feel like, yeah. (laughs) At the risk of getting ahead of ourselves, I sort of doubt anybody's listening to this podcast who doesn't know the deal with Fugazi and merchandise. but to sort of sum things up, yeah, famously, Fugazi never sold T-shirts or other merchandise. They they only sold uh, their music, and they usually didn't even sell their records at shows. They just sort of let you know I- independent record stores handle that through Discord. Um, yep. But uh, yeah, t- so a lot of people are have been throughout their history curious about why that is, and this is something Ian's been over in many interviews. But uh, I I just can sum that up with a few quotes um basically so there's there's one revealing one i've cited this interview before but it's uh an interview from uh uh, somebody in oslo norway in 1995 uh and ian just says quote uh just not interested in it i mean we've become so much against it just because we don't do it and everyone goes like well they must but i mean from my point of view we're a band we come to play music that's it and for me, when I see a band I really like, and I'm really like into them, and they stop and say, we're selling t-shirts in the back, it bums me out. Because to me, it's like um, small bands selling shirts to raise money for gas and food. Okay, that's totally cool, and I'll buy a shirt to help the band. But if it's like a big band, and they're making whatever, to me, it's just like a bizarre parallel economy that comes on with music now. The fact that you even have to ask me that question in an interview, why don't you sell shirts... What kind of question is that to ask a band? It's like, would you go to a baker, uh, to a bakery, and say, "How come you don't sell shirts?" He makes fucking bread, you know, and I make music. End quote. So, Ian has said something to that effect uh, several times. Uh, basically, just uh, he's also said similar things about kind of the alcohol industry. He's like observed that the live live music and the alcohol industry really seem to go hand in hand. Uh, they. Are, are like a, have a symbiotic relationship. These venues are just making tons of money off of selling alcohol. And uh, he always thought that was just kind of weird and perhaps unnecessary. Um, another uh, interesting thing, you guys, the shirt that you described of your band kind of alludes to this. There, there's a famous bootleg Fugazi shirt that basically says, this is not a Fugazi t-shirt. That is described sort of interestingly in a book called The Art of the Band T-Shirt. Um, sort of like, uh, I, I gather it's sort of like a coffee table book sort of deal. I don't have a copy myself, but basically there are a bunch of pictures of band T-shirts and some short interviews. And in that one, uh, Ian says, let me get a good quote here. Um, <clears throat> uh, he says, quote, Our decision made it even easier for bootleggers to print up and sell shirts and stickers. Bear in mind that they would have done it even if we were in the game, but we figured that at least this way, it clearly illuminated the greed that exists in that strange parallel economy of music. In the beginning, it was mostly small companies, and they would knock it off if I called them. They usually offered to pay us sort of a retro licensing deal, but the answer was no, as that would have been our position from the beginning. I managed to trace one design back to a fairly well-known t-shirt company in the Boston area, and I called to tell them to cut it out. 
I spoke to the main guy there, and of course he wanted to do a deal, and of course the answer was no. Still, we had a nice chat. He was curious why we didn't want to sell shirts, and after I explained our position, he seemed to respect it. About one month later, a friend at the record store alerted me to the This Is Not A Fugazi t-shirt shirt. I traced it back to the same Boston dude. What a smart motherfucker he was. I called him up and said, okay, you're funny and you're creative, so let's see how creative you are with accounting. I asked him to choose an organization doing good work in his community and give them what would amount to the band's royalty for the shirts. I think he chose a women's shelter up there, and as far as I know, he sent them money right up until he quit the the business. End quote. Hell yeah. So, wow. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Cool story. That that's uh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's like yeah. He, you know, he, Ian Ian is baffled by the idea of making money on something and then not wanting to make more money. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like that's that's the whole like theme of merchandise, right? You're making money. Well, wouldn't it be great to make more money, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> the the things that Ian seems baffled by are fascinating to me it's you know it's like and it's one of the things that makes him such an interesting person it's like sort of if you uh plopped a full-grown adult from another planet down onto this planet and he had to sort of figure everything (laughs) out all at once and he's like he has this sort of perspicacity that's like well why why is this the case everyone else sort of takes it for granted but he's the only one who's like why why do bands sell t-shirts why does why is this something we have to devote our energy to if we want to be in a band and play music right Uh, right almost as if humans and that that the human human nature or greed right is is this alien life form that he isn't familiar with he's like navigating (laughs) greedy people like spock you know, navigates us, <laughs> the human beings on Star Trek. <laughs> what is this greed you have? I hope he's a Star Trek fan. Um, there, there is one other story I wanted to point out, and this this made big news um, back in 2013 when there was like sort of a minor scandal rocked the uh, indie rock world when Urban Outfitters started selling Minor Threat T-shirts. And they weren't bootleg shirts. They were, like, legitimate, licensed by the band. Uh, really? And everyone was like, how can this be? What, has has Ian MacKay sold out? Is is this it? Um, so that was, like, a big furor, and people were talking about it a lot. Um, so uh, a brief quote on that from the Washington City paper. Um, so <clears throat> he says there, at the risk of uh, reading a lot in this episode, uh, but I, I do think it's interesting. Um Discord doesn't make t-shirts, Mackay clarified in a phone call, but Minor Threat is another story. Because so many bootlegs Minor Threat shirts are constantly floating around the universe, uh, Mackay decided the band had to do something about it. The solution? Get another company to oversee their official shirts, and when a bootleg crops up, let them deal with it. Uh, quote, it's fucking absurd the amount of bootlegs are out there, Mackay says, and my time is better spent doing other things. It's not a political thing for me, Mackay says, I just don't give a fuck about t-shirts. Um, so, so yeah, he, he describes him, you know, the time he had to spend chasing down bootleggers. Um, and basically when you contact them, it's like they either get in your face or they completely deny it. So it's a total waste of time to do that. Um, so yeah, basically this company that, uh, minor threat contracted to deal with their shirts decided to, uh, sell it through urban outfitters and, uh, asking about uh, whether Ian McKay approves of the sort of sweatshoppy clothing chain selling the band shirts 
quote, do I think it's absurd? Yes, I certainly do, he says. He also thinks the asking price is ridiculous, but he's more or less resigned to it. Quote, motherfuckers pay $28, that's what they want to pay for their shirts. <laughs> so, yeah, all of which is to say... It's, <laughs> it's 2013, it's, guys. Yeah. I, I think, like, the, the, the idea floating out there is it's some ideological opposition to t-shirts where but i think uh, to sum it all up it's just not something that ian mckay ever wanted to deal with and he thinks it's a waste of time and it's it's more like an annoyance that he'd rather not deal with rather than something he is like actively hating on yeah i think he probably wants to avoid having that as like part of his legacy is just being the guy that like doesn't like shirts yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah well Well, put frank You know, I think it it goes along with a little bit of like... That guy hates shirts. (laughs) I think it goes a little bit too. It's like, you know, he's an adult man, right? And, and, you know, husband and and parent, right? These these are problems that don't exist when you're, you're younger and you have, you know, your life is different. And then eventually you just like don't want to deal with some stuff anymore and you just got to like take care of business, <laughs> you know, and it sounds like I feel bad for the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Did, didn't Nike also get in trouble for using the minor threat imagery like on something? It was like not oh, Ian yeah. on the I steps, but it was somebody else on something the steps like leaning over. You know, we did a little, I did research on, uh, the representation of Fugazi and stuff, like because we would mimic their flyers too for our the flyers of our shows, um, and just put like our information on it in like real real small letters by Fugazi. We would write all ukulele cover band. Um, so uh, it, it was interesting to see how Fugazi has been expressed like digitally and and image wise and what the brand is of it. You know, especially when they have made no attempt to make a brand out of themselves. Yeah, um, totally. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it it lines up too. Looking back at, I, I mean, just I I can't remember ever seeing them uh, wearing any merchandise. Like I don't remember them seeing them wear other bands' T-shirts or anything like that. No, no, always just like a T-shirt with a number on the back. I think every time I saw them. <laughs> yeah. How do you, how do you guys feel about merchandise? What's your do you have a what's your personal relationship to it? Because like I must admit, I I like a good piece of merchandise every now and then. I don't have a ton of it, but yeah, I wear a few band shirts and I enjoy them. Yeah, I'm a graphic tee guy. I love graphic tees, so I hope you know Ian doesn't take umbrage to that. But I, I you know I think it's just like it's a fun expression of art to me with the graphic tee thing. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that that like is. You know, it's necessarily like you have to own a million things to be somebody, you know, but graphic tees are just a fun thing. I think there's a lot of like local or, you know, independent artists out there that have, you know, Etsy shops or like if you go on like Threadless or Redbubble, there's some cool, you know, artists just trying to get out some different shirts that you're not going to find at like Target or like, um, you know, Hollister or whatever. Right. So that's cool. Yeah. I mean, we're going through we're going through hard times right now, so it's. Anytime I get a chance to support like people that are doing Twitch streams right now, that are doing live Twitch streams, and they do a T-shirt for it to support it because they're not touring stuff like that, that's what I'm going to throw cash towards them right now because it's I know things aren't easy. So that's that's where I've been that's kinda cool. putting money yeah. towards. 
the bands yeah, that can't I guess that's one dimension of this song is that times have changed a little bit. Like back in the day, presumably, I guess, at least this this was people's um uh right. this was people's impression of the state of things was that bands made a good deal more money from their actual music. So t shirts yeah. could seem a little superfluous. Now Maybe not so much. I think a lot of uh, fans of, of a band right. would be more likely to buy a shirt as a way of just directly showing support just, and, and contributing some It's cash. almost like buying another ticket. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, the world is so different than it was back then. Yeah. With, with how even, even you get exposed to music or how mu- musicians uh, yeah. make money or, or, any, or how money is made. It's just the, you know... You know, I, I learned about Fugazi because of a, getting a CD lent to me from somebody in my my class at school. You know, it's like that doesn't happen anymore. Nice. Yeah. People don't. That's not how people find out about music. You know, it's like it, it gives you that, and I think that's one of the deals with merchandise for a band is like, you know, any drive that I have to have the sticker on my guitar case or whatever of the band is to like show that I'm I know that band and I'm cool. Because yeah. it's like my band, the thing yeah. that I discovered, you know, and now it's like every everybody uh, is judged on a completely different metric, and and people take pride in their musical discoveries, with yeah, differently, so much differently, and um, the music, yeah, the merchandise is how you show support versus buying the music yeah. is the way you used that's to be awesome. able to do it. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thing you bring up. I was thinking about it earlier this week too about uh, what merchandise communicates and like what people are trying to communicate to other people yeah. when they wear it. Because I I do think there's this big aspect of it, which is is like I I, I don't know this the sense of community that you're trying to foster. You're trying to you're you're hoping that by wearing this T-shirt on some level that somebody who appreciates it will comment on it. Um, I, I was also earlier this week. I saw a bumper sticker on a car that said uh, it, it just said "platform nine and three quarters." Now this is a Harry Potter thing, but the sticker okay. didn't say Harry Potter, right? It, it, this right. is this is the sort of merchandise that like you you sort of only want people to know what it is if they are like deep enough into it to sort of get a reference. And like that, that's a, that's a certain certain class of merchandise. Like I have that too. I have a Fort Reno T-shirt designed by a friend of the show Ryan Nelson that uh, has an ice cream cone and says, uh, <laughs> "You eat ice cream, everyone knows it." Oh, uh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's it's great. I think you can possibly still get them. So uh, yeah, check out uh, the Fort Reno website. Maybe you can. <sighs> that was our favorite <laughs> bit. Our favorite kickout bit was we would do that exact bit. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah love the other thing. Yeah. We saw you before the show. <laughs> You're not so tough now with your ice cream. <laughs> what a bunch of swell guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it just sort of makes it that much better like than if I were just wearing a t-shirt that said Fugazi. If somebody came up to me w- when I was wearing that right. t-shirt and started talking to me ab- about Fugazi, somehow it would seem, I don't know, more fun. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like you're sure they already know like a pretty good catalog of their you know music. Yeah. If they know that reference, right? Proves you were there that that you heard of them first. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, I mean, how else do you do it these days with T-shirts? You don't meet people at the record bin that are looking at the same band right. anymore. You just meet, you just discover interests with people a little differently, and especially with like 
when you don't get to, it's part of like how we curate our image publicly, right? We got to give as much information about who we are in as little bit as possible. And boy, yeah, if you could put on a Fugazi shirt and somebody comments on it, that's a, that's a really nice commonality to quickly get to, you know, <laughs> somebody. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. And at the same time, I think that's another thing where if you suggested that to Ian Mackay, he'd be like, what do you mean you have to, you know, curate your image? Like, like get it. that's nonsense. Um, so it's like, <laughs> why, why does how you present yourself yeah. send an expectation of how you ought to be treated? I was like, I'm sorry. Me. I was just kidding. <laughs> you. Yeah, no, th- like I, yeah. I frequently find myself like thinking, what, what, what would Ian Mackay say about this? And I like, I admit that I'm, like kind of at odds with him a lot of the time. And he would be like, well, why are you doing this? This is nonsense. He's sort of like that voice yeah. over my shoulder. <laughs> What's yeah. the other side? Yeah. <laughs> <Gee>. <laughs> it's like, I agree. No merchandise. Um, yeah. Yeah. The other guy's just, just gee agreeing with, with Ian. <laughs> this is back and forth. What do you say? Like, oh, damn it. Gee. Come on. <laughs> Um, there's something else that strikes me whenever I listen to this song is, uh, another, uh, pop culture reference that's maybe on your mind too, especially the line at the end, you are not what you own. This really, uh, came back to my mind in a big way when Fight Club came out. You might remember the, yep. the line, you are not your fucking khakis. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> it seems like really? yeah. okay. it always seemed to me like that the spirit of this song was like a kind of a strong influence at least on that part of the film I was trying to see if I could see any reference to Chuck Palahniuk being influenced by Fugazi in any way but I haven't I haven't come up with anything but that's like the biggest thing I've ever seen that resonates with this song to me yeah that's part of the the, the punk rock philosophy right <laughs> yeah. we are not what you're on this, that's a feeling that makes people feel great yeah I I think it's one of the things that's really appealing about Fugazi as a whole and I mean maybe there's a parallel with, with the kind of person who who enjoys Fight Club too but I, Fugazi just yeah. represented an alternative way to be that uh, that perhaps when, when you were young and first started listening yeah. to them you didn't know was a thing at all. You just assumed, yeah, merchandise is important to everybody and you have to dress in a sort of trendy fashion forward way, um, et cetera, et cetera. You have, you have to buy certain things to be perceived a certain way. And whether or not you ended up agreeing with them, Fugazi, uh, it's one of the various uh, dimensions in which they just presented an alternative to that. Like, no, this is nonsense. You, you're not what you own. You don't have to you know, participate in this crazy system that's, that's out there. If you, if you want to go for it, but uh, it's not necessary. We don't, we're not into that and you don't have to. It's very straightforward. It's so, it's so, it's, it's one of their most straightforward songs. Yeah. Like there are so many songs that they have that are, they have so much more layers and all that kind of stuff. This one's just, you are not what you own. Boom. And they just, they cut right to it. Like they, they, they slice the knife through the butter on this song. <laughs> they really do. Yeah, they really do. One other dimension that uh, might be interesting to note is th- there's a sense in, in these lyrics of, um, I mean, well, the first stanza mm. 
really talks about a sort of capitalist transactional uh, system as like the reason anybody is alive, right? Like there's this sort of satirical statement when we have nothing left to give, there'll be no reason for us to live. Like if we're not producing uh, something to be sold, then there's no reason to be alive, right? Um, yeah. yeah, it's really like the Matrix, right? We're trapped in this world. We're just yeah. like providing sustenance to this larger creature. Yeah, I mean, the song in itself, I mean, Mike, Mike was talking about it earlier, but it's very mechanical and like almost like um, assembly line sounding, right? Kachunk, kachunk right? Yeah. Uh, and, and it really captures that feeling of this is how, you know, common sense says it's by design, right? Uh, it just captures this idea that we're just um, human beings are just um, the 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 teats that are which are being suckled to create <laughs> the uh, capitalist society, right? It's just really gross feeling, but uh, and then breaking out of that is part of that song too, with uh, the triumph, the triumph uh, you are not what you own. Yeah. Cool picture song. Mr. Burns for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it is uh, like two realities at once. It's like this, like you think you're in this like great, you know, it's like retail therapy or like, you know, you're, you are feeding this machine and really it's just this like wasteland of just, you know, constantly just going out and buying things, just crap, you know, there's no point to it. Yeah, I every once in a while I feel like I've escaped that cycle, but then something, some new hobby like sucks me back in, and I'm like, oh, I have to have a perfect setup of whatever I'm doing now, and uh, it's hard to escape. I I must say. Mm-hmm. I agree. Oh yeah, all of us have really expensive ukuleles. Yeah. Can we tell you about? Can we tell you about those? <laughs> You should you should yeah. see mine. It's got like ten like three D printed like a little uh, pickup on my ukulele. It was pretty cool, but it's see? just like it's so it's Frankenstein to hell. Do Do any of you guys own an eight string ukulele? Oh, good lord, no. Uh, no. no. Sounds cool though. Yeah, but it just doubles each string, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's like like a twelve string guitar. I've always mm-hmm. wanted one, but there are like so many other instruments that I would like rather have first that I couldn't. I don't think I could ever justify owning it, but they're they sound really cool. You know, when you play with uh, six other guys that are also playing ukulele, <laughs> yeah, maybe you don't feel necessary. like man. You know, this could you be. I, I wish I had a little more full sound. <laughs> I wish I had like five other musicians to play along with me. But, <laughs> oh, oh, wait, well. there's me. <laughs> so, what songs are you playing your daughter on uh, ukulele? Oh, it's the same three every night. First is "Sweet Baby James" by James Taylor. Yes. Uh, then I nice. go with uh, maybe a little bit of a dark choice for a toddler, but it's "All the Umbrellas in London" by Magnetic Fields. And, Ooh, okay. Great cool. band. Great band. Oh, yeah, and I think uh, yeah, the mag- magnetic fields are a big part of my bedtime. We're we're a big part I of my bedtime routine. Band. Yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure Stephen Merritt plays an eight string ukulele. Sometimes I believe I've seen a video of him doing that. They they play well, so many be. instruments. They yeah. play like a glockenspiel <laughs> at one point. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I close out the set with "Where Have All the Flowers Gone" by Pete Seeger. Um, just sort of inculcating a you know socialists liberal anti-war message uh, from an early age so yeah that's my routine. 
Cool. Indoctrinating her into cool. peace and love and harmony and melody. That's right. That's really right. nice. <laughs> yeah, it's That's a really fun. soothing instrument that you could That's so fun. It is. It really is. <laughs> Pretty one. Um, well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more about that in a second, uh, when it comes to your guy, you guys and your music, but first let's talk ratings. Do you like me? Do you like me? Do you like me? And when Uh-oh. it comes to the song merchandise, if you could each assign this, a, a sort of rating from one to five stars in the context only of the Fugazi a uh, catalog of songs from like your least favorite Fugazi song to your most favorite. Um, what do you think you would give this one? Uh, let me go first to Ken Keach. <laughs> go for it, Ken. I think you have to look at the uh, the historical and uh, foundational uh, philosophy of it. So I, I think this is a, a five-star song. Wow, holy I'm so crap. happy to do an episode on it. It's one of my favorites ever. Of course, one of, the, one of my most favorite songs ever. Nicely done. Nice. What do you think, Mike? Uh, don't, don't put Mike on that one after that one. Uh, yeah, Mike. I, I, Mike's a good... Be, I, I think it's okay. It's a um, no, I, I, no, I love this song. No, I do. I do. No, it's a... For me, it's a... It's a 3.75, though. Because the instrumentation. After working with the song... So many songs that we've done with them and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's hard driven. It's straightforward, but it's it's not the hardest song that right, we broke no. down. God, because no. we we've done breakdowns before. We've done that. <laughs> well, even that and great cop and all that kind of stuff. Like, like I said, there's there's there have been times that it's been tough. So, but it's it's such a, a fugazi song. It's such like a straightforward. This is the song. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna give it, move it, four star. Four star even. Four stars, okay. Yeah, let me fix that. All right, sounds <laughs> good. What do you think, Frank? Amended. Um, I have to give it a 4.8. I mean, it's like, I know it's kind of a random number, but it's really just like, it's not my very favorite, but man, merchandise, just I love playing it. If we ever had a chance to play it live, like, it just like got me so like amped up, and it just, there's like so much energy to it, and it just, right off the bat, it just pulls you right in. It's just an amazing piece of nice. music. Yeah, I love uh, it. Yeah, for me, I think uh, I think I'll go with Mike and say four. It's it's one of those where obviously historically it's super important and like it has these classic Fugazi slogans that are so important to the to just who the band is, mm-hmm. their their identity as a whole. At the same time, it's like if I feel like I want to listen to Fugazi, I feel like I would seldom throw on the song merchandise. Like it's just not one of those that comes to mind as like I want to listen to this one. Um, it it is just certainly hugely important though. So um, yeah, I guess I'll go four stars. So yeah, either go. way, pretty big ratings. I, I have to song. tell you, I'm I'm a teacher. I'm a teacher, and during the the during this uh, COVID remote learning times and hybrid learning times, it's so confusing. These kids just got like punched in the face. I've been like a really easy grader, so I think that that you know I think that's translating over onto my level <laughs> five star rating that I'm giving. I think it's mostly because of I, my uh, my evaluation system has been permanently skewed towards being generous and empathetic. <laughs> Hindsight's twenty. That song's had a pretty tough life, guys. <laughs> Let me uh, give our, our uh, 
listeners on social media who commented on the post I put up on, on the Facebook group, let me give them a little chance to weigh in on what they think. Uh, Thomas Harding says, When I first heard Repeater, Merchandise was probably my favorite song on the album. I think it's a pretty good introduction to Fugazi in that all the touchstones of their music are present, but uh, presented in a way that's more accessible than, say, a song like Repeater. Uh, on a personal yeah. note, after a recent move and nearly herniating myself lugging records and bins of t-shirts, oh. I have been trying to apply the refrain, you are not what you own to my life a little more often. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, that, you know, yeah, dude. That reminds Jeez. me of something that was in the zeitgeist pretty recently. That show, uh, Tidying Up with Marie Kondo, was really popular for a hot minute. Is just sort of yep. all uh, about yes. getting rid of shit that you, it's cluttering up your house Find that you your... don't own. Um, just Does it give you joy? Yeah, yeah. Just what sparks joy, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I have to say, my, my uncle Dennis, like, he is like a huge minimalist, which sounds kind of goofy to say a huge minimalist, but he like loves getting rid of things, and he's like always been, like that's like his mantra. Like I went to Italy with him one year, and I had so much crap, and he was like, you don't need any of this stuff. And he was like <laughs> getting rid of things for me. Like I had like a bunch of snacks, and he was like eating the snacks to, get, to like make room in my bag. Like, he was, like, so mad. It was so funny. But, yeah, I definitely, like, learned about, like, you don't need so much stuff <laughs> from him. And I guess from Fugazi, too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> relating to that, Jason Bug says, In a weird way, this song is the thesis statement for the early years of Fugazi. It wraps up who they were and what any mainstream press wrote about them rather succinctly. Um, let's see. Pete Fraser says, That surely in the top few most known Fugazi, Fugazi songs... I think, along with the fact that Ian was in Minor Threat, it's probably largely responsible for people thinking of them as a worthy or preachy band, too, which isn't to say that I don't love it. Huge, classic Mackay sing-along. Um, yeah, that's true, and I uh, I think something that I forgot to mention, but that I definitely wanted to give a tip of the hat to is Guy's vocal contributions uh, on this song. Oh, he which adds like, in... Th- th- it's also... 100%. Yeah, classic... Gee doing backup on an Ian song. Um, it's, this is like practically the blueprint for that. Yeah, he really comes out like a hype man. Yeah. <laughs> really, really good. Pat McGauley says, Merchandise is arguably one of the most anthemic punk songs of the early 90s. The blistering delivery of Gee's backup singing and Joe's Stiff Little Fingers-esque bass part in the breakdown make it a classic for me. You know, it's funny he mentioned Stiff Little Fingers. I, I, I was playing a Stiff Little Fingers song the other day. What's the name of it? Um, always yap, yap, yapping and complaining at me, right? Um, that song, I don't want to hear about it. Not, uh, anyway, that Stiff Little Fingers have that, that in that song, like that perfect like high school kid, you know, <laughs> feeling rebellious, not finding a place in an M, always speak your mind, but not out loud. Right. So like, uh, um, which is in like a Cat Stevens song too. It's like this, that's a feeling that I, I have a 15 year old now. So I know it's a feeling that 15 year old kids get and like teenagers get like we're, you know, suppressed and our voices aren't heard. Right. right? So, um, I think merchandise, I mean, perfectly has that feeling to it. Right. I mean, it's made to latch a teenager in, like a lot of punk music was. Um, so, oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, I really, I really identify with that stiff little fingers comment there. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I, I think, <laughs> I think you're right that teenage kids are always going to feel like that, 
and it's important to be for there to be somebody like Fugazi to uh, to get the attention of that sort of impressionable kid and uh, channel their feelings in a in a sort of positive direction. So hopefully there continues to well, be absolutely. That. That's very positive, even though aggressive. And that that when I was into it at the time, that was like people's I think the adults fear of of hardcore music or post hardcore music that scene like yeah was that it was violent and dangerous when in fact it was just like kids like sweating together and like singing about really great things you know that that were life forming it, it's just completely misunderstood um and sometimes a song like that you know is that those anthemic songs like merchandise um help help build that feeling of we're all in this together and you and and when you're at a live show singing along with it you know sweating feeling like together I'm and feeling good something. things man that's it yeah the yeah. fugazi did that for so many people it definitely it. did it for me you know when you had a fugazi that's show it. you felt like you're part of something yeah um, yeah hardcore in the 90s was a, was a special yeah. uh time for sure uh-oh Sounds like somebody's got a low battery. So. Somebody's. Uh, oh, oh, oh yeah. Uh -oh. Did you hear that? That was my headphones. That goes to everybody. Uh -oh. Yeah. <laughs> I panicked. I thought it was me or something. I was like, oh. I can I can start wrapping it up in that case. No problem. I was just about. I'm gonna have to go plug myself in. Speaking of plugs. It sounds as if <laughs> you guys are maybe not going to be playing any more shows, but, I mean, where can people follow you to find out if you uh, announce a show in the future? And where can, like, what what do you think is the best place for people to go and listen to your album and your all your stuff? The easiest place to find us, if you find us, is going to be through Spotify. We posted it two years ago on uh, April Fool's Day. Not to be ironic, but we tried to be ironic. <laughs> So we posted it on Spotify. Um, it's Fugulele, F-U-G-U-L-E-L-E, -L -E, 14 songs. Um, we're up there. That's, that's honestly the easiest place to find us. You might find us on Facebook, but we're not really too active right now. It's, it's, if you want to listen to what we did that we put years and years of work into, <laughs> yeah. just listen to the Spotify album. That's that's the easiest way I would put it. It's it's yeah. been a lot of work putting it into the, that bad boy. So that's our that's our place. I, I you could be on, one uh, of the over one dozen people that have listened to this album all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> and if you listen to it and then send me a letter, I'll send you a T-shirt that uh, says <laughs> "I listened to the Fugulele album," <laughs> and then other people that you encounter will know. I saw. I also listened to the Fugalili album, and that will be a point, conversation talking point that you can have. Just no commentary about whether or not <laughs> you like, enjoyed it? Yes, exactly, yeah. It's the See, worst thing you can say on the merchandise. <laughs> no, <laughs> seriously, no. For just nineteen ninety five, no, I'll send on, you a man. shirt. Self-deprecation is a special art, you know? <laughs> so, you know, uh, while we're plugging our merchandise... Sonic, uh, so Fugulele, several members of uh, Fugulele went on to create another all ukulele cover band, and that uh, that one is currently working, and we'll be we'll be doing shows. That that band's called Sonic Uke, so that's an all ukulele. This is true, because I it also is. really like Sonic Uke. This is one where you you tune all your ukulele strings to F sharp. You know, we 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 do use uh, alternative tunings, and also we prepare. 
the instruments, like sometimes with screwdrivers and uh, cans <laughs> and things like that. And we use a lot of uh, distortion pedals and things. It's been a the the pandemic has been really hard on us practicing because we require such um, loudness and to be together to make the feedback and things like that. But we're kind of doing the same similar treatment to Sonic Youth that we did uh, and then Fugalele did to Fugazi, just trying to break it down by tones. So it's a little different, you know, Fugalele is acoustic only, but Sonic Uke <laughs> is electric. I've actually seen Sonic Uke, and I have to say they are an amazing band. <laughs> I will certainly check that out, and uh, as usual, I will put all the helpful links that I can down in the show notes. So listeners, you can just scroll down there, um, check out Fugalele and Sonic Uke. And uh, also, as always, you can email me at fugaziA to Z at gmail.com, and you can join the Facebook group just called The Alphabetical Fugazi if you search for that, and uh, just click the join button and answer the one question that I pose to you to make sure you're not a spammer. Um, and that's uh, about it from me. So thanks to uh, all the guys, um, not only the members of Fugalele who joined me today, but uh, everyone who played on the album. Uh, please give my best regards because it's a it's a cool little labor of love that you got you did there. So um, I really enjoyed Thank it, you. and I definitely Appreciate urge it. my listeners to check it out. So other than that. Uh, I've had a good time with you guys. Nice to speak with you. And listeners, I hope you'll join me for the next episode when we will be discussing nice new outfit. Until then, keep your eyes open. <laughs>